Sing Second Sports is a ProVision Advisors production. Let us solve your toughest communication problems and leave your team stronger and more capable for the challenges that lie ahead. Visit www.provisionadvisors.net to learn more. Hey, hey, everyone. This is the Sing Second Sports Podcast, and it is the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, which means you are somewhere on the road. The big thing is that Ward, Wags, Chris, and I are going to bring you the pre-Thanksgiving pod so you can have something to listen to to not worry about some of those dreadful things that come with Thanksgiving. Like, hey, are we going to talk about the Build Back Better plan during dinner or are Kristen Cinema and Joe Manchin evil or good? You know what? Let's just deal with football. And if we're doing that, we have one game to talk about, and that is the Temple game on Saturday at the link at noon, where we take on a Temple team that is really struggling in their last five to six games. And we have a chance to build some momentum going into uh, the Army-Navy game. So but without any further ado, let's start with Wags, and then we'll get to Ward. Uh, Wags, what are you looking for in this game? We're a 12 and a half point favorite and OU still around that 45 to 46 number, but obviously Vegas thinks we're going to take care of business. Um, what are your thoughts? Well, Temple's lost six straight games and uh, they've got inner turmoil. They've got players entering the transfer portal. One of the players who is leaving the program accused the coaching staff of, in essence, harassment and mistreatment in terms of how he, he claims he was pushed off the team, forced out. So they've got some issues. And uh, you know, Rod Carey, the coach, is kind of under fire. I mean, not only is the program not playing well, not performing on the field, but then they've got these off-field off issues. And, of course, he doesn't want to talk about it. And players are posting things to social media. So it's a bad situation in Philadelphia. And uh, this game, Navy's got to win this game. Period. End of story. Uh there's no excuse. If you can't beat Temple, you got issues. So, uh, however, Coach Kendi Amatololo said in his Monday presser, who are we to look down upon anyone and uh, act like we should or you know, be beating anyone? We're The Navy's struggling as well. They're 2-8. and eight. So uh, this is uh, basically a, a battle of bottom feeders in the American Athletic Conference. It's at the link. Um, you, there's not many temple fans fill up the link. It's going to be a weird atmosphere. It always is up there. They, you know, it's a pro stadium that holds what 80,000 people. And there'll probably be maybe 15,000 in the stands. So if that, yeah, it's, it's not much of an atmosphere, John, I've, I've covered Navy at temple in the link before and it, it, it ain't much, but you know, I'm looking for further improvement by the offense. I was so encouraged by what Ty Lavatai and the offense did against East Carolina. And I would like to see a repeat performance. I'd like to see 38 more, more points, you know, regular you know, drives, multiple drives down the field, a couple more of those big plays. Like we saw with Carlinos AC, AC breaking a 90 yard run. I'm, let's, let's see a Navy destruction. How about uh, 38 to 10, John? Ooh, I like that. Well, Ward, you know, you look at Lavatai's stats for the entire year, 
and they actually look pretty good. You know, 25 for 44 for 310 yards, four touchdowns and two interceptions. It's almost like, you know, like Dan Marino numbers for one game against the Chargers in 1984 going up against Air Coriel and Kellen Winslow. But that's for the entire year. Um, it's not his job to throw. It's his job to win. And he wins by possessing the ball, making good decisions on the pitches, and then matriculating us down the field in such a way that the time of possession swings in our favor. We grind out the game and we win. We postulated in the post game after ECU that Ty actually put the stranglehold on his possession of this position. What are your thoughts? Agree, disagree? And what are you looking for from Ty on Saturday? Well, I just second what Wag said. You know, we've we've on the show been fans of Ty and, and we're in his corner. He showed flashes of brilliance early in the season. And we sort of, I think I stated, you know, that this is the era of Lavatai. Uh, that was a little premature. So, you know, he's still developing and he's still getting his legs under him, literally. Um, so let's hope that last week was a confidence builder and he'll be able to just go out and execute. Let's hope that the defense shows up against Temple. And I agree with with Wags. If we don't win this one, um, we're we're in big trouble. And it is sort of an indictment of the program that the coach is like stating that who are we to look down on anybody? That's not where you want your coach postured, you know, three quarters, seven eighths of the way through the season. So, you know, th- this is making the best of a bad situation in this season, right? So let, let's let's win out. Um, and especially we're like the old days where we consider a winning season beating army and nothing else matters. So, you know, we've had the luxury of not having that posture in the Niamatololo era, but here we are. So yeah, let's start by beating Temple who are imminently gettable this year. Remember we beat them last year by in a squeaker um, a home game. I think it was our season opener. Right. And, and, uh, you know, so th- they have fallen on misfortune as Wags captured their their team morale is in the tubes. So let's hope that makes it a, a, a good circumstance for us. So, Chris, let, let me ask you this, um, you know, based on based on everything you've seen and based on the the point spread and the possibility of us building momentum. Um, you know, if we beat the hell out of Temple and a very bad Temple team, I mean, I think only UConn is a, is a team in more disarray in, in FBS football. Um, we take it to Temple and then we shock the world and crush Army uh, during the Army-Navy game. What, what does that tell you about the body of work from this coaching staff and this football team? Does it lead to coaching change or does it lead to coaching staying? Two quick corrections, and then I'll answer your question. We did beat Temple last year um, in the third game of the season uh, on October 10th. We beat them 31 to 29. So we were right, Ward. It was a squeaker. It was our first win of the season. Uh, and Wags um, Lincoln Financial holds 67,000, not 80. Still, it'll still be empty, uh, but wanted to make sure that we got those. Uh, Cervello going full Tony Reale <laughs> with the uh, corrections. Right. I love it. I'm, uh, I'm trying to avoid uh, early morning uh, texts or emails from our listeners. I want to make sure we get that <laughs> right. 
No, John, to your question, you know, that, that I, that's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting question and, and it's an interesting thing to think about, right? Because, um, you, you know, there's fr- there was frustration um, early on and uh, midway through the season. And, and then, you, you know, we had some wins and we played well. Um, and then, you know, people will, will point to the fact that we have a very tough schedule. Um, and Wags and I texted back and forth last night. I, I'm not sure that our struggles are schedule um, indicative. Uh, I, I just don't. I, you know, I mean, I, I don't know that a schedule is a reason that you don't finish. I don't know that a schedule is a reason that you, you are sloppy uh, or, or don't play the type of football that you play. Now, when you talk to Keenan and Eric Katani, um, you, you know, they'll say that, you know, what I just articulated is a, is a fan's view and, and is not um, what, you know, folks that were, have been in the trenches w- would say. So, I think you have to look at everything. I think that, yeah, a big win against Temple. I think a a win against Army. I'm not sure that it would shock the world, John. I mean, I I think that um, people know that this team has a lot of potential that it really hasn't showed uh, throughout the year. Um, I think regardless of those final two games, something needs to change for next year. You know whether that's personnel, whether that's an approach, whether whether that's some you know some play calling. I, I just think that we've seen two years in a row and three out of the last four where we were less Navy like than we were over the last twenty years. And and so you you know if Coach Ken asked my opinion, which he probably never would, I, I would say hey think long and hard over the over the off season if you're back as to what needs to change um, so that we can get back to what the fan base is used to. So speaking of Kenny, um, I'm going to go to Adam Schefter, um, AKA Wags for the latest on the injury report. Not sure if the MRI has come back. How is Kenny's knee? And we're going to get, as we go into the out, um, into some of the other huge games that are happening on Saturday. But what, what do you say Wags about the strength of schedule debate when at the end of the day, when the final college football playoff rankings come out, they might include in the top four Cincinnati and Notre Dame, two teams we played this year in very close proximity to each other. So if you're two and eight and you play two teams that are competing for the national championship, maybe that's some explanation, but I'd like to hear from you on that. Well, there's no question this is the toughest schedule that Navy has ever faced. And it's a byproduct of being a member of the American Athletic Conference, which is a very strong conference. And it worked out this year that Navy didn't get any weak sisters other than this game coming up, Temple. Uh, they didn't play South Florida, which is down. Um, and some of the uh, there's really not a lot of programs down in the AAC this year. That's that's one thing. I mean, you there is very every possibility that when it's all is said and done. 11 of Navy's 12 opponents will be bowl eligible. So that's, and that's where the strength of schedule, that's what has Navy ranked number one for most difficult schedule is the record to date. It's not, it's not as much about power ratings and index and all that. It's that you just go and look at the total record of all the teams the Navy's played. And that in that view, it's the toughest schedule in the nation. But that said, you're you're in this conference to compete. And so you've got to be able to compete with these teams in the AAC. Tulsa, you can Navy's beaten Tulsa. Houston, 
Navy's beaten Houston. Central Florida, Navy beat them this year. Um, so, yeah, it's a tough schedule, but it's a schedule you've been playing for the most part. You know, the, uh, the only abnormality really is Cincinnati and Notre Dame both being in the conversation for the college football playoff. But Navy plays Notre Dame every year, and Navy's never favored against Notre Dame. So that's no different than it's ever been. And Navy's beaten Notre Dame during Coach Niamatololo's head coaching tenure. So I agree somewhat with Chris in that it's about execution. And let's just go back to what Ken Niamatololo said this very week. I was encouraged because I saw the Navy offense that I know. That was us. That's the Navy offense that I'm accustomed to. So what he's saying is, for most of the season, he hasn't seen the Navy offense that we have come to expect. So there's it's it, it, it is, the schedule is tough, but the reason that Navy only has two wins as opposed to maybe five or thereabouts is because they haven't executed. They haven't made plays on both sides of the ball. They haven't played complementary football. There's been games where the defense played well and held an opponent to a reasonable number. The offense couldn't produce, and special teams let them down. Then last Saturday against East Carolina, the offense finally rose up and played the way we've been asking all season for it to play. Special teams produced with the 98-yard kickoff return by Mikel Haywood, and the defense let down. So it's a wide range of things. If I had to ultimately point to the problem, it's – no seniors and juniors producing, very few. This team is playing an inordinate number of sophomores and freshmen. I'm going to be writing this week about the fact that the kickoff return unit features nine freshmen. That's unheard of anywhere. I guarantee you there is no other FBS program starting nine freshmen on its kickoff return unit. And if you go and look at the depth chart, it's littered on both offense and defense with freshmen and sophomores. And so there's the problem. You do not have a mature team. You don't have the seniors and juniors that Navy would normally rely on. They're gone largely. They transfer portal and the pandemic decimated the Navy football program. If you go and look, we already talked about the senior class, 25 seniors there's a large segment of them do not play or contribute in major ways. Uh, that, that was a recruiting class of 56 players, and they're down to 25 of which maybe 15, 16 are contributors. Then go look at the junior class. It's gone. It's a giant donut in the program. They all left. And so you got a program playing way too many sophomores and freshmen. It's good for the future. And the coaching staff will tell you they think that there is a lot of talent in the sophomore and freshman classes. Now, let's hope they don't transfer and the Navy can retain these guys going forward. But to me, that's ultimately the problem. They're, they're too young. So, Ward, let me throw it to you. You're Chuck Gladchuck, and you're evaluating this at the end of the year, and you're two and eight, and maybe you finish four and eight. Um, and you had what happened at the end of the Air Force game, but you also had the Air Force game and the Marshall game that preceded it. You also had some stumbles here in the middle, but you also are, are seeing good things. And then you evaluate all these data points that Wags just mentioned. Yeah, it's an indictment on the coaching staff to a little bit, to a degree that players transfer. I mean, but 
it's also an indictment on the players who, you know, they didn't, they didn't stick around and have the maturity to see it through. Um, it's also, you know, a good thing for the coaching staff that there's so much youth and that Ty Labatai has two more years of eligibility after this year and seems to have taken a stranglehold of the quarterback position. So if you're a person who's making decisions about the future of the program, does it matter if you're two and 10 or four and eight? And where would you lean in terms of making a change going into the next season? So beating Army always matters. So if we walk out of MetLife with a win, that softens the emotions. If we walk out of MetLife with a loss, then all bets are off. And we may see a repeat of the uh, walk into the locker room and, and, and fire the offensive coordinator kind of a thing. The results there will inform what happens. So if we get blown out by Army, then you could see some drastic with a capital D moves from the AD with respect to personnel. The transfer portal has changed everything. And I think it's right to be concerned that this amazing youth that we have now will bail when they have their opportunity as they're rising juniors. Just like, like Wag said, we decimated the junior class with the transfer portal. That is a thing. And anybody who believes that they have football potential and then pro potential beyond that, you know, this is the problem with building a marquee program. You know, what is the tacit promise when we're wandering around high schools and prep schools and NAPS with respect to why would you come to Navy? It's division one football. Is it, Hey, and you get to fly an F 35 and drive an LCS and be a seal. You know, because, again, we talk about the physical mission in the context of future naval officers. But is that what the expectation is from these blue chip football players? I don't know. But this is where that comes home to roost when you lose all of your marquee players going into their junior year here. Instead of going, I'm not going to forfeit my right to be an F-35 driver. They're thinking I'm not going to forfeit my right to play in the FBS. You know, and, and so that, that series of priorities is off fundamentally, but that's, that's a different conversation, I guess. Um, so this is a long answer to your question, John, but I, I, what I'm saying is let's see what happens in, a, in the Army-Navy game. If we beat Army, what I'm saying is the status quo will, will push to next year with a stern talking to about, you know, get your act together, square away this offense. You know, Newberry's kind of, he, he's good to go. Um, and I think Ty is the quarterback and, until, um, you know, somebody else shows up that just steals that, that position from him. And I don't see that happening. Um, so, you know, I think that's, that's, that's where we are with the, the, the macro look um, at the whole thing. Let me just yeah, quickly think... interject the, Go ahead, please, uh, the transfer thing. Um, yes, Navy has seen an, a larger number of transfers since the portal made it so easy for players to shift schools. However, the, the massive departures that occurred here recently were due to the pandemic. I don't think any of us has fully realized how absolutely miserable, horrible it was to be locked down in Bancroft Hall. And Diego Fago 
said it last week when we had him on the Zoom presser. He said that not no in-person classes and not being able to do this and that. At first, it was like, oh, wow, no, we don't have to go to class. Then, And he said none of us realized how incredibly terrible it would was to not be able to leave your dormitory room for months. And at the time that players made their decisions to depart, they didn't know if that was going to continue. They didn't know if they were going to come back in the fall semester of 2021 and have more of the same. So I do think the pandemic greatly affected the players who are currently juniors when they were sophomores and they had the chance to get out before incurring a commitment by signing two for seven, they did. And I think a large number of them did because of the pandemic and what life was like at the Naval Academy as a result. I mean, that, that's a fair assertion. I, what I, again, keep your eye on the prize, right? The brigade didn't hemorrhage, you know, um, we just had, we lost some football players. So we were in close comms with team captains across the brigade. And what struck us was their resilience, their attitude. We're sitting here going, man, if I was them, I'd be complaining and I would quit. But that's not we, what we got from basketball players, female lacrosse players, volleyball players, any of the female soccer players, you know, women's soccer. So I was heartened and, um, you know, motivated by the attitudes of the brigade during the pandemic. So they, they it, yes, it was Lord of the Flies and, and so forth and so on. But I think what this did to your point, Wags, is it just exposed priorities that were already resident and it just fast forwarded and accelerated things that they were already had in mind, you know? Um, so I, 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 I'm not discounting what you, what you're saying, Wags. I'm just saying that um, I think the, the whole view is, is, bigger than that. And, and again, to my eye, these guys were disinterested in being naval officers. So Chris, I'll give you the final word here. And we can, we can look at it as hey, strength of schedule, this and the pandemic that, and I know that Nehemiah would never fall back on an excuse, uh, but those are meritorious data points, right? Or should we be looking at this through the lens like old Al Davis or his uh, son with the much, much more unfortunate haircut, Mark Davis, in a just win baby type of type of attitude. W where do you fall on this as we go into our last two games? Yeah, it's it's hard not to um, it's hard not to form my opinion uh, based upon being a, a old retired guy. So if this sounds like old guy radio to younger people listening, I apologize, but. The first thing I learned at the Naval Academy, other than my alpha code, were my four basic responses. Yes, sir. No, sir. I'll find out, sir. And no excuses, sir. And that's kind of where I fall on, on this. I mean, and, and it's one of the things that I really liked and like about Kenny is his time at the Naval Academy has been about no excuses. And so I think that we have to view athletics, academics, uh, service assignment. I, I think you have to view it through the, the no excuses lens. If you're a true fan of the Naval Academy. And I know that people are going to, you, you know, poke back at me a, as a result of that. But for me, that that's how I view it, John. These are all good takes. And Chris, I'll, I'll finish this out. You know, let's talk about, you know, the game itself. 
12 and a half points. I think we should win by double that. I think they're pissed off about last week. Um, but I also think that they saw the good things that they can do and they know that they have to finish this strong um, in order to put their stamp on this season. No one wants to be two and 10. No one wants to lose to a bad Temple team, particularly a Temple team that's quit. Um, and so I'm going to put it out there. I think that Diego and the rest of the Newberry defense take advantage of a new freshman quarterback and stomp them in front of a very paltry crowd on Saturday. And then we get into uh, Army-Navy preps, and we see where the chips fall from there. I'll, I'll throw in my editorialization here as we go to break that I really think that this team is postured and poised after a very tough season to come back and learn from that mistake and learn from that adversity with 10 bad ACL or good ACL, whatever the, whatever the MRI or x-rays show in the end. I know that he is going to throw everything he can with this coaching staff behind a victory over Army and then behind a, a reclamation project over the offseason to go into next year strong. Uh, so I think that's where we're going to be at. Um, we're going to go to break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the Jen Coleman double-double machine. That train continues to roll down the tracks, although the result wasn't what we wanted. And we'll break down what, other than the Navy Temple game, which is must-see TV, obviously, there are some really must-watch games on Saturday that will impact um, you know, the, the rest of the college football season, particularly the playoffs. So stick with us. This is Sync Second Sports. We'll be back after the break. This read is for our young Sing Second fans. Looking for a great way to celebrate your birthday? Have your party at a Navy sporting event with Bill's Birthday Party Package. Your special day can include a pre-game party featuring Chick-fil-A, Fisher's Popcorn, and Nothing Bunt Cakes, as well as game tickets, a video board recognition, and more. To reserve your birthday party for a Navy sporting event, call 800-US-4-NAVY. That's 800 us 4 N-A-V-Y. And while we're talking about our younger fans, don't forget about the Kid Shipman Club. The Kid Shipman Club is the official kids club of Navy Athletics. And for just $20, your membership includes exclusive gifts, free tickets to Navy sporting events, a birthday card from Bill the Goat, and more. To register, visit NavySports.com. Now back to the pod. All right, we are back. Um, before we get into the final takes, which will involve the rest of the college football schedule, let's talk a little bit about women's basketball. Coming off of the great win over the Catamounts, had a tough one against the mighty Stags of Fairfield, dropping a 76-52 to decision at home. Uh, the real killer was the second half. Um, outscored 38-22 to in the second half uh, yesterday at home. Really undone by Fairfield sharpshooter Lou Lopez Senegal. Uh, poured in 29 points. Sydney Lowry for Fairfield also poured in 20. For the mids, Jen Coleman continues to do what she does. Uh, off of six of 16 shooting, she had 13 points and went full shack with 14 boards. But again, dropping a tough one to Fairfield. Uh, we'll look for Navy women's basketball to rebound from that. Men's basketball, as you start to listen to this pod, will probably be tipping off against the mighty Washington College team. They tip off this afternoon, Wednesday before Thanksgiving. So as we go out, we talked a little bit about Navy's strength of schedule, and I intimated a little bit that what happens this coming Saturday 
will really impact a lot of what happens with Notre Dame and Cincinnati being in the playoff or not being in the playoff. So Wags, what's your prediction in the end? What, what are the top four teams playing for the national championship when all is shaken loose? Uh, well, I hope that Cincinnati is among the four, but they have to close out the regular season with a win and then beat Houston in the AAC championship. But it would mean a world to group of five teams, conferences, uh, and especially the American, for Cincinnati to make the college football playoff and be the first group of five program to ever do so. Um, but I think other than that, you'll see your usual suspects, Alabama, Ohio State. Um, the, you know, I, I, I sense that this committee will find a way to screw Cincinnati. I, I, I sense that somehow Michigan or someone's going to close the season strong and they'll win the Big Ten Conference Championship and get jumped over Cincinnati. Uh, this committee has done some kooky things. They didn't really have a choice this time because Oregon lost and they had to bump someone up. But I could still see this committee screwing Cincinnati and, and you know, like Cincinnati doesn't beat East Carolina by enough and they drop. That's what, you know, th this was a big win last week for Cincinnati by beating SMU soundly because SMU's legit has been ranked. And since that's what had been hurting Cincinnati, that didn't beat Navy by enough, didn't beat um, Central Florida by enough or whomever. So uh, pounding on SMU really greatly enhanced their prospects. But there's a very good chance that no matter how it shakes out, it'll be the usual suspects, you know, the Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan. I mean, the, the same old, same old, John. But if Ohio State wins out, you definitely have Ohio State and Georgia in there. And then I really think it's going to be a battle between uh, Cincinnati, Notre Dame. Um, you know, I really think that Oklahoma State, if they finish strong, might sneak in there. So, uh, Jimmy the Greek, what do you, what do you think um, over there? Because I am rooting so hard, number one, for Nehemiah to come back next year and for us to be an established program, but I'd really like for that to be in a conference where we just had someone playing for the college football uh, playoff championship. I don't think there's any way that Cincinnati plays for the, the national championship um, where WAGS is. I, I think that the committee will figure some way to hose them. Remember, I mean, th this is not a, this is not a meritocracy, right? I mean, this is a business. They're going to think about what is what are the two best games in terms of national ratings and how much money can they make and they will do whatever they can to push Cincinnati out as long as they're in the American Conference. So everybody on that committee will be rooting for ECU and Houston to make their decision uh, easy. They'll figure some way to uh, to slide in another team. And, uh, you know, it's a huge eye roll uh, from me. I mean, I share your thoughts. I, I, I think Cincinnati's had a great season. Um, as I did, you know, I felt the same about UCF a few years back but I just don't think it's even it's even going to be possible. I'll let Ward take us out, but I think it was very interesting or very important for the health of Cincinnati's argument that Houston was now this week number 24 in the country. And now when they play them, when Cincinnati plays Houston in the AAC championship game, they are playing a ranked team, which seems to factor into the calculus in this very bizarre world in which the committee resides. So I, I, think, that's, I think that's an important point. And I think really in the end, no matter what happens, if Cincinnati wins two more games and wins them convincingly, 
they're in the playoff. And if that doesn't happen, I, I truly do lose faith in this process, which probably should have uh, should have not been in my faith for a long time. Ward? Well, stand by to lose faith in the process. That's it. I concur exactly with Wags and Chris on this. Well, I'm going to win. I think Cincinnati goes to the playoff and then loses by 50 to Ohio State uh, in the semifinal. But hey, we got to the playoff. Um, we are going to take this baby out. We were joking at the beginning. We know there's a lot of familial strife in and around Thanksgiving. Stay the course. Listen to some old uh, old podcasts from us. Uh, read a book. Walk away. Um, but yeah, in all in all seriousness, enjoy. Please travel safe. Um, please hug your uh, your loved ones and your family. And we will see you for the Temple post game pod early next week when we emerge from Thanksgiving. For Ward and Wags and Chris, I am John. From us to you, happy Thanksgiving, safe travels. We will see you on the flip. We are out. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association, the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show and from time to time will be part of podcast segments.